Good evening. Thanks. Thanks for responding. My name is Zach. I'm part of the team here as well. And uh, we're on to week three of this series that we've been doing since the start of the year called Follow Me. Um, maybe you didn't realize we're doing this series. So just give you a bit of an idea of wh what we've been doing. So this series, essentially, we want to take the next two months to look at the nature and characteristics of leadership. And particularly looking at how we see that portrayed in the Gospels as Jesus lives and does ministry. Um, and so you might have noticed even in the last couple of weeks, if you've been around, that, that some of the words that we're used to using around leadership, particularly in our context, maybe um, in our work environments or school or university, those kind of words haven't actually come up that much so far. I don't know if you, have you noticed that. So words like charismatic, driven, successful, high capacity, decisive, those kinds of words that look great on a CV when you're applying for a job. And we haven't really talked about those things at all. But the words that have come up in the last two weeks have been words like surrender, dying to self, laying things down, humility, following. Actually, deaths come up quite a lot. <laughs> it's been cheery so far. Um, but what we think we're discovering is, and I think we'll continue to discover, is that the life and ministry of Jesus actually flips a lot of what we think a good leader is on its head. And what we find, I think, and we'll continue to find throughout this series is that what is primary, what is foundational to leadership in Jesus' books is a life surrendered to him. So we're going to continue with the same theme tonight, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 from verses 18 through 22. So it's Matthew chapter 4 from verses 18 through 22. I think it will come up. There it is as well, yeah. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the question I have for us today as we dig into this passage a bit more is, what kind of person was Jesus looking for when he called these four fishermen? What were the characteristics? What kind of personality was Jesus looking for? Have you ever been in a situation where you're going for a job interview and you know you're probably not going to get the job because you don't really want the job, but you also feel like you need a job, so you want to pretend like it's the best job that you've ever heard of? Ever experienced that? Anyone been in that position before? I definitely was in that position a lot as a, a graduate a few years ago. And I went into it and I did all my best research going into it. And I was like, I so did all the buzzwords on their website. And they said, why would you love to work here with us at this tuition company? And I said, well, you know, I just love the way that you put kids first. Like, Great, that was a phrase that they used. And I love the way that um, you use this kind of really intuitive software. And, you know, it's actually it's just the job I've always wanted after studying a theology and music degree. And uh, so I was like, I'm on a roll, I'm going to get this job. And the next day I got a phone call from them and uh, they said, you know, well, you've got some good experience and you said all the right things, but it just didn't seem like you were that passionate about the job or your company. And I, I was deeply hurt. And then I realized I didn't actually want the job, so it didn't matter too much to me after that. What are the qualities that Jesus is looking for in his disciples? And I think what we find here is, isn't four men who've learned how to, to answer the question is the right way. There's no pretense here, but I think what we find is four people who are willing to shape their life around an invitation. 
And I think this passage teaches us that Jesus is looking for three characteristics in particular. He's looking for people who are available, people who are teachable, and people who are surrenderable. Because <laughs> they have to rhyme, don't they? So that's it. People who are surrendered. So I'm going to look at each of those three and how we see them being pulled out through this passage. So first we're going to look at Jesus looking for people who are available. Uh, but in order for us to see this in the passage, we need to set a bit of context. The first thing we need to understand is this, that this wasn't the first time that these four fishermen had encountered Jesus. And while we, if we're reading that, the Gospel of Matthew, it's maybe the first time we've had a conversation. But just before this, we find out that Jesus has just begun his ministry. It's right at the start of his life and ministry. And he decides to live in Capernaum, which is a fishing village. And the fishing village is also the place where these four fishermen live. And so um, we need to get our kind of modern way of thinking about people living in towns and cities out of our heads. In our, in our day and age, we could move into a street and spend 10 years living in that street and never meet anyone else on that street. Do you know? Not, not know the names of anyone. We could just go about our daily business. But in those days, when someone moved into the town, that was the talk of the town. Everyone knew about that. Especially if a new teacher was teaching in the synagogue, everyone would be talking about this teaching that, that this new teacher is teaching. And so the fishermen knew that Jesus was there. And also they knew some of the teaching that Jesus was teaching. There's verse 17, it kind of summarizes the content of Jesus' teaching. And it says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is the message that he's preaching, which is quite simple, but also hugely profound. And I think we need to pull apart this a little bit so we understand why the disciples said yes to follow him. So firstly, the word repent. So the word repent, um, if we think about that word, it can have a bit of a stigma attached to it, can't it? We can, we can think of the, maybe the person in the street corner who shouts, repent, or you might die, or the person in a film wearing those cardboard cutouts saying, repent because the end of the world is nigh, and then always an, an apocalypse happens. But when we get to the root of the word, the word repent simply means to shift direction, to move our lives away from a way that was patterned after our own ways and own desires, and instead moving towards a new way. And so when Jesus is calling people to repent, he's calling them to that kind of change, to wake up to the fact that they've been living a way of life which has largely been about themselves, and to line their lives up to something new, to begin to shift direction. And then he offers us this new way that he wants us to live by, because the next part of the sentence is, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what Jesus is saying is, get ready, ready yourself in order to receive this coming new kingdom of God. And this, this kingdom of God, people, people heard about it. People were, were kind of talking about it because they knew what it would mean if it came back. Again, if, if Jesus is, was true, if this was true, that the kingdom of heaven was coming near, it meant that God's rule was coming, that there was a new rule coming to town. There was a toppling of oppressive powers. There was a freeing up, a renewing of things. And actually, the Jews have been waiting for this to happen for about 400 years as, as they were underneath the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And so Jesus is saying, get ready. Ready your life. Shift direction. Move towards the kingdom of God because it is coming near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So this is the message. If we can picture now this kind of fishing village, this is the message that people are talking about all around the hills of Galilee. And so when we reach verse 18, which is the verse that we read, um, and Jesus approaches these four fishermen, he's actually essentially just saying, listen, he's making this personal to them and saying, are you ready? 
Will you come and follow me? Will you come and see the kingdom of God has come near? And the disciples say yes. They make themselves available to that call. I think that's the first thing Jesus is looking for from us. Are we available to that call in our lives? To shift direction, to move our lives towards the kingdom of God, which is at work around us and can be at work in us. As a young adult, um, I was convinced that I couldn't be a leader. It was kind of, mostly because I was quite quiet. I mean, I'm still more of an introverted person. But most young leaders around me were kind of these big personality people. They were kind of like really popular people. And those are the people in school that I saw who got leadership opportunities. Whereas for me, because I wasn't really that kind of person, I didn't see myself getting those kind of things. And so I kind of just was like, I kind of was happy with that. I decided that was going to be the course of my life. And in fact, I directed myself that way. So the, the career path I chose, the courses I was going to do at university, all was kind of pointing towards this thing that that's not really, I'm not really called to be a leader, so I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to do this thing instead. But the issue with that was that as I began to pursue God more and try to shift the direction of my life towards the things he was calling me to, um, I started to, to actually end up find myself in leadership positions. <laughs> I'd start leading worship, and initially I'd be like, I'm a worship leader, but I'm not a leader. And like mentors and leaders would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's like literally in the title is worship leader. You, you cannot call yourself a leader. But I would try and do this, and I would try and live in this kind of this two trajectories of saying like, I'm not a leader, I definitely can't be that, but then also doing stuff that definitely felt more and more like God was calling me towards leadership. And essentially I had a choice to make eventually. I had a choice to say, yes to the way that Jesus was leading me, yes to the work of the kingdom of God that was working in my life and that God wanted to do through me, or to set my own trajectory instead and close myself off to the things that God was doing around me. And so I made my choice, and I still make my choice to say that the things that God is calling me towards matter more than the things I've heard people say or the things, decisions I've made in my past. I didn't stop being an introvert, I still am, Maybe I've got better at small talk. I could put on a course sometime. It'd be a great course filled with introverts. So we just sit in silence and no one would be worried about it because we all like silence. So I'll tell you when I do that. But the decision essentially I made was I made myself available to God. And I even offered over my preconceptions about what it means to be a leader and pursue him and allow him to shape and direct me instead. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like for each of you sitting here today to make yourself available to the call of God in your life? Maybe actually for some of you, this, you that feels like a familiar story that um, you've, not, you've kind of discounted yourself from something. And you might have even have heard people speak words over your life like prophetically and say, I think that God's calling you towards this. And you said, no, that's not me. I've seen people that do that kind of stuff. I'm not like that, so I couldn't possibly do that. And I wonder if something that God is saying to us tonight is will you make yourself available to me and trust me with the rest? Will you make yourself available? So let's say yes to that invitation tonight. And maybe if that was you and you were saying yes, that is me, and if I'm completely honest, I'm, I even like get scared by the thought of making myself available to that. We'd love to pray for you at the end for that to, to kind of help free you up for some of that, for what God's calling you to next. So that's availability. Availability, I think, is the first quality we see in this passage. And the second, I think, we see is teachability. You still with me? Availability, 
teachability, number two. And Jesus uses this really interesting turn of phrase after he said, come follow me. It's the next section of that same verse. It says, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, that phrase isn't just a pun because they're fishermen. Um, though he does like jokes. There's lots of jokes elsewhere. But in this case, the rabbis in Jesus' time were likely to use that phrase to describe their teaching ministry. When they said, I will make, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men was like the language they used to describe their teaching ministry, the, the way they gathered people around them as teachers. And so what Jesus is saying to these four disciples, these four new uh, fishermen who want to become disciples is, come and get close to me. Come and see me. Come and walk with me and eat with me and learn what it is to be like me. Come and see me up close. And that is huge because this is a rabbi. This is a rabbi and in a time when rabbis didn't do that kind of thing. Rabbis kept their distance. Rabbis told disciples, you have to prove yourself to me. Do 10 years of study and come back. Continue to prove yourself to me and I'm going to stay aloof and distant from you. And here is Jesus saying to them, these four ordinary average fishermen, I want you to come and be close with me. And for us, we know this is Jesus, the son of God, saying to four fishermen, I want you to come and learn from the one who's created you what it looks like to be human. I want you to learn from the one who's made you what it looks like to be a better person. Do we, see, do we get how amazing that is? Because we have that exact same invitation. We continue to be invited into this close relationship with our creator, the one who knows us and knows the best way for us to live. That is the invitation that Jesus invites us to. And I think we can too, but the, rea the reality is we can too easily miss the challenge that comes with it, can't we? A disciple wasn't someone who followed at a distance. So that's, this, that's the kind of the other side of the coin. So while the, the invitation is incredible, come and be close to me, the, the challenge for us is that actually being a disciple of Jesus you couldn't do that at a distance. You couldn't stand back and do it on your own terms. The, the expectation was that you would spend your whole life following this rabbi, be close to them, learn the mannerisms, learn the lifestyle, be shaped and remolded to look like this rabbi. And that's not an easy work. That's not a, like one hour a week kind of job. That is a fully immersive whole of life experience. And I wonder if we've lost some sights of some of that as we follow Jesus in the West in our context, in our time. Because we can call ourselves Christians, and all that we need to do in order to do that is to pray a certain prayer. And we're well within our rights to call ourselves a Christian, right? And we could still mess up, and we could do absolutely everything wrong, and we can still call ourselves a Christian. Because that is the gospel, and that is the amazing good news, that because of everything Jesus has done, he has crossed divide for us. He has given everything so that we can have relationship with him. But if all that we do with this relationship that's being offered to us is give ourselves a name badge of Christian, and then if we don't let anything else change in the rest of our lives, if we don't look any different to the people around us, then I think maybe we miss some of the point. This self-giving love of God is supposed to move us emotionally, physically, mentally, fully towards Him. It's supposed to pull us towards a life living differently. And actually, even the word Christian, we use that so kind of easily now. But that word, when, you, when originally it was used, it was used as an insult for the people that were following Jesus in the early church. Because they were seeing these people who were doing stuff that looked so much like the life of Jesus. They're like, ha they're little Christs. 
Let's call them that. That's really funny, isn't it? And then the early church said, actually, yes, that's the point. We are trying to be like Jesus, so we're going to take your insulting name and use it as our label because we want to be little versions of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus so closely that people look at us and see him. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be someone who spends their life learning what it looks like to be Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a lifelong learner of Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is looking for from us, to be people who commit to a life journey with him and learning more and more what it looks like to be him. And that doesn't mean that we're gonna find every part of this easy. In fact, I think a lot of the times we find it quite challenging. But what we do is we recognize in the process of that that the way that we often see the world um, naturally in ourselves as we think about our own needs doesn't, isn't necessarily the best way of seeing the world or the right way of seeing the world. So there's this scientific study. It was done in the 1950s and it was by a guy called, I'm get his name right, Theodore Erisman. And he's a professor, I think it was in Australia, and he had this teaching assistant and he decided to, I think it was, must be punishment because it sounds like an awful thing that he did to his teaching assistant. I don't even know why this guy said yes to do it. But he said, decided he was gonna put these glasses on his teaching assistant which flip his vision completely upside down and make him wear them consistently, day and night, for as long as it takes until he starts to adjust to wearing with his vision that's completely upside down. And as you can imagine, it, it was a fairly significant change. It took him quite a while to get used to it. And initially, he would be trying to pour water, and then it, the water would be traveling up rather than down in his vision. He would start like, freaking out and flipping the cup everywhere. Or he'd be like walking and just trip over on the floor because it looked like the ceiling. But then slowly and eventually, he began to adjust to seeing this way in the world, and his brain began to normalize it as he, as he got used to walking and drinking and eating and even cycling with this new way of seeing things. But then at the end, the professor took off his glasses, and which just sounds really mean, and he had to adjust again to living, looking at the world a different way. So ignoring the mean part of the professor, I think learning can often feel like a bit like this, this guy wearing new glasses. As we adjust to living for the kingdom of God, rather than living to meet our own needs first, sometimes we'll pick things up well, sometimes we'll align up with our values really well, and then other times we'll feel a bit like pouring water all over our legs. We'll feel a bit like we're, water's going up rather than down. <laughs> and sometimes even the process of us learning what it looks like to follow Jesus and to put him first will feel like us falling flat on our face. Sometimes it will feel quite hard, and we've experienced that as something which kind of challenges us and challenges the stuff that we know we've held too closely to our hearts. And there's actually, this is true of the disciples in Jesus' time as well. There's a section in the Gospel of John, which is just a couple of books later, in chapter 6, and Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and it's quite a hard teaching. And in fact, at one point, the disciples say, Jesus, this is kind of getting a bit offensive. Some people are getting offended by the things that you're saying. And eventually some people decide to leave him at that point in his ministry. And then it's, the Jesus turns to his 12 disciples at that point and says to them, will you leave me as well? And then they respond by saying, where, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. That's the kind of perspective that we need to carry through our discipleship to Jesus to acknowledge that even when things challenge us and confront us, that Jesus has the way of eternal life, that Jesus has a better way for us to live, a more full way for us to live. And sometimes that might humble us. Sometimes we recognize 
how much better it is in front of us. And all of it, the promise is that we will see life in its fullness if we follow him more fully. So Jesus' second point is looking for leaders who are teachable, for lifelong learners. And this, I think, very naturally leads us to the final one, the final thing that I think Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people who are surrendered. And if you look at verses 20 and 22 in the passage, there's this, there's this moment where all four fishermen have to lay something down and give something up in the process of saying yes to Jesus. Peter and Andrew leave their nets. James and John leave their dad on the boat. That's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? All four of them have to give something up, which they have placed great value and significance in, in the process of saying yes to Jesus. Fishing was their trade. Like, it was their income. It was their food source. It was their identity, even. They would be known as fishermen. Their fathers would have been known as fishermen. And these four men had to leave behind this stuff in order to say yes to Jesus, which it was a big thing for them, and it still is a big thing for us too. Jesus is looking for people who are willing to lay things down in pursuit of him. And I mean, we've already explored some of this, haven't we? Because when we think about availability and teachability, both of those things have a kind of laying down thing in them as well, don't they? When we think about being available to God, and opening our lives up to moving in a different direction. That requires us to lay down and turn away from old ways of living, doesn't it? And changing the way that we see ourselves even, changing the way that we see others, and changing the way that we prioritize God. And to be teachable, ultimately, is kind of to lay down our pride. It's kind of to lay down this, our, our belief that we know the best thing for ourselves in every circumstance. And to be teachable is to lay down our own truths and believe that Jesus offers us the words of eternal life, as the disciples said. What does it look like for us to lay down in this season for each of us? What has God been prompting to us in these last few months, maybe, around what it looks like to lay down? I don't, I don't know about you, but um, I've been particularly aware of the, felt, the fact that it's really felt like often in our gatherings we've moved towards surrender at the end in our response. Have you noticed that? that off, so often after a sermon, after the preach, it's felt like the, res, the right response to what we've been hearing is to, to lay our lives down before God, to surrender ourselves to God. And I think there's a couple of reasons why God is doing that, and I feel like one of them is corporately so that we can begin to prepare for what God's got for us next, to lay down our own expectations and plans and trust him with what he's got in the future. But also, I think individually, I wonder if the reason why we've landed in it so often is because this is actually kind of a slow work, isn't it? This isn't something we can do quickly and get right. But laying down stuff, which has been really close to our hearts, is something which takes a while to do properly. And I think God is committing to that process with us, inviting us to slowly lay down things and trust him with a new way forward. So to, to use a garden analogy, just because I like to get one in every time I preach. So this is my gardening analogy for this sermon, just so you can take note of that. Um, just imagine you're walking into this big garden that's been unkept for a while, maybe some of you have gardens like this, and there's just weeds everywhere, all over the garden. You could have two ways of kind of trying to address this problem. Take note if you want to, if you've got a weed full garden. You could just run around and just like grab weeds out as you're going. The chances are you're not really going to pick anything up. The weeds are probably going to grow back. You might trample on some like, nice stuff in the process. All the alternative is that we do this slow work of working in one section at a time, slowly pulling out the stuff that's bad and treating the stuff that's good. 
And I wonder if that is the kind of slow work that God wants to do with us as we go into this year. And maybe the, the, the ask that he's giving us just now is just to make ourselves available to it, to continue to be learners, to continue to submit to his way of living, his truth. And in the process, trust him to reveal the stuff to us that we need to lay down, to reveal the, reveal the stuff to us that will get in the way of us pursuing God's kingdom on earth. So I want to really grind this just to close um, because we've talked about it, surrender so much and it can be easy for us to kind of like just go through the motions of it, right? To talk about this big grand gesture of surrender and then go back to our daily lives and not really change anything in the process. So I want to grind it a bit more for us as we finish. And so what I want us to do is something a little bit different. Um, you still with me? Good. What I want us to do is I want us to just reflect on an average week last term. Can you do that? Just, it, does, it might take a little while. Christmas has been and gone. Christmas is just a bit of a blur, isn't it? You don't know what day is what. But let's think about last term, an average week where we had a, a rhythm in place and, and uh, kind of priorities and responsibilities. And now, when you're thinking about that week, I want you to take out all the stuff that um, was kind of outside of your control. The fact you needed to eat, to take that out. Take out the fact you needed to sleep, the fact that you were working. And then what is the stuff that you're left with? And how did you use that time? Maybe we'll just take a moment to think about it. Because I think it's quite telling, isn't it? The responsibilities and the activities, the stuff that takes up that time which we had choice over, can often become the places of security and identity in us. And if there's something which is standing out to you particularly just now, then maybe God is asking you what it look like to lay this down and to trust me with this. As I was praying, um, I felt like there's maybe two things in particular for us as a gathering that God was maybe revealing and inviting us to lay down. I wonder if the first one is for us this need to be successful in studies, like at uni or at school. And where there's like this, where initially it was a healthy desire to do our best has become this kind of all-consuming thing as we face pressure externally around it. And it's consumed us and we find ourselves just spending all of our time thinking about work. And then in the process of that, what you've noticed, maybe you've been aware of this and you think about it last term, that as pressure builds up and as you feel the need to do work all the time, then suddenly all the stuff that you know you should be doing and you know should be coming first, like spending time with people who love Jesus, spending time worshiping God, spending time with him in his presence, they slowly just drop down the list of priorities because this stuff feels like it's so important to us and it's so precious to us. And I wonder if for some of us, God is inviting us to lay it down before him again, to put him back in the first spot as we start this new term. And then for other of us, as others of us, I wonder if it's a little bit more subtle I wonder if we're being driven a bit by how we feel. That's definitely what culture suggests that we should do, isn't it? And it's such that we've allowed the way that we feel to dictate the way that we live, the decisions we make on an average week, and how many things we decide to do or not to do because of whether we feel like doing it or not. 
And I'm not saying that we should suddenly ignore our feelings, but when they become the kind of like marker and measure whether we should do things or not, in place of our pursuit of God and our vision to love God more, then I think things kind of come out of order. Like you end up thinking, like, I, don't, I don't really feel like reading or praying the Bible today, or like praying or reading the Bible today, so I'm just not gonna do it. Or I don't feel like getting up early today, so I'm, I'm just gonna sleep in for a while. I, I don't feel like seeing people, so I'm not gonna feel, see people. You know, that kind of way that becomes, it becomes the kind of the way that we order the whole of our lives. I don't really like the songs we're singing tonight at church, so I'm just not gonna join in. Or I don't like this guy standing at the front telling me about my feelings, so I'm just gonna stop listening to him. What would it look like to pursue Jesus in a way which lays down our feelings as the primary way of driving our lives? And to trust in the process of us doing that, that if we pursue him, that our feelings will follow, that they'll come in line, that as we spend time in God's presence, even when we don't feel like it, that our feelings will start to catch us up as well. And we'll be aware of how important, how valuable, how precious that time is. So I want to pray for us as we kind of reflect on some of this. Um, and I wonder if you'd want to stand with me where you are if you're able. And uh, I've shared a bunch of stuff and some of it could be um, exactly what God has been saying to you. And some of, none of it could be. And it could be that God's saying something completely different. That there's something that you know you need to lay down. There's something that you, need to know, you know you need to give him in order to be available to him. Um, but what I'm going to do is I want to pray for us that God's kingdom will come into each of those areas. That's the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. For your kingdom to come and your will be done. So uh, maybe you want to put your hands out in front of us. I know we've done this already tonight. But what, if there's something in particular that you think, I know that this is something which is in the way of me following Jesus fully, then maybe you want to imagine yourself giving that over to God as you put your hands out in front of you. You might want to close your eyes as well while I pray. So Father, we say your kingdom come. You have full access to this area in our lives that we know that we've held close to ourselves. We give you our work where that has become all-consuming to us. We give you our studies, where that has taken over our lot of the priorities. We give you our feelings and ask that you to give us motivation to keep pursuing you even when we don't feel like it. And for some of us, actually, maybe the thing that we're laying down is our own um, expectations of ourselves, that we don't believe that we can do something that God's calling us to. So God, if, that, if, if that's any of us, God, I pray that you'd really reveal to us again what it is you're calling us to and help us not to discount ourselves or to, to pull ourselves out from what you want to do through us.
thank you for your love and for your grace that meets us as we bring these things before you. As we draw near to you, you draw near to us.